This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry and you're listening to Trek FM. some light reading in case I got bored. Welcome everyone to another episode of Literary Treks, our dedicated books and comic show. I am one of the hosts, Matthew Rushing. I apologize, I'm a little under the weather this week, so just forgive the voice. But I couldn't miss this episode, Dan, because goodness, are we going to talk about something great. Here, here. Yeah, no, this is, uh, you know, the book we're talking about tonight, uh, a Next to the Destiny series, I have to say the book we're talking about tonight is the one that I have lent the most to my friends to say, here, you need to read this. This is a great Star Trek book because I know how much you hated the final episode of Enterprise. These are the voyages. Yeah, and (laughs) I'm right there with you. I remember when this book came out and I remember, you know, the setup for knowing it was going to happen when Last Full Measure and, you know, finding out that Trip was still alive as they're laying the keel for the Enterprise NCC-1701. He's there. Uh, he meets uh, a, a family by the name of Kirk. Um, and he meets a young Jim Kirk, which was wonderful. And then we kind of knew that the next book was going to be this, this wonderful thing uh, where they were going to do something that Trek books had never done before, which was actually contradict canon and so yeah we're going to be talking about that tonight um we're gonna wait till we jump into the feature uh we actually don't have any news i was scouring today looking for news maybe looking for you know a a book cover to to judge or something but there's really just nothing out there and uh, no new comics this week so that means we have all the time for our feature dan which Mm -hmm. i think we're gonna need definitely the one thing i will say is uh the new voyager novel by kirsten byer uh pocket full of lies is out now so if you don't have that yet go grab it go download it uh, Matthew and I have both recently started this one and I am really loving it. So, uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about that one real soon. So make sure to grab that. You're exactly right, Dan. Thank you so much. I meant to say that and I'm so focused on the feature tonight <laughs> that I forgot, but you're right. Go pick up Kirsten's new book and she will be here next week talking about it. So you're going to want to have read it so you can listen to the show, not this coming Sunday, but the next Sunday, because goodness um right now it's already a honey it's so so good and i'm like 30 pages into a 300 page book yeah so that that just lets you know right now how excited we are to dive into that one next week but dan before we do jump into our feature we're going to talk about the good that men do let everybody know where they can find us online Well, Matthew, Literary Treks is available anywhere you get your podcasts. We are, of course, available on iTunes, uh, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, uh, or you can download or stream the MP3 file from our website at trek.fm. And of course, you can get the RSS link there as well. If you want to get in touch with us, uh, we have a contact form on the website at trek.fm slash contact. Uh, You can leave us a voicemail there. Uh, Look on the sidebar on the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm. Our Twitter handle is at trekfm. You can tweet to us on there. And of course, we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. 
Now, we also have the Babel Conference. Just go to Facebook and type in the Babel Conference in the search field, uh, or go to our website at trek.fm and click discussion on the menu bar. It's a listeners-only group, but just request to be added, and we'll let you right in. Well, and Dan, I just want to make mention of, you know, while you're in iTunes, uh, hit us up with a star rating and review because that really does help people find the show. And we would love more people to find out about Literary Treks and Trek FM. And you'd be surprised how many Star Trek fans don't know about Trek FM. And it's those star ratings and the reviews that help people find those shows when they're searching in iTunes. And it's also you just talking about the shows on your Facebook or your Twitter, sharing the shows, those kind of things. So help us out. Help us grow in this 50th anniversary of Star Trek. Help Trek FM become the premier place that all Trek fans want to be this year. Dan, I remember sitting in front of the television, and it was the last episode of Enterprise. I sit down. I've really enjoyed the show. I've come to love the characters. Uh, Trip for me has become my favorite character next to Archer. I love him and to Paul. All of these characters uh, just fantastic to me, and they they have become family, just like all the other crew members have from all the other shows, even the ones that aren't my favorite. You know, I Tom Paris still one of my favorite characters ever in Star Trek, and. Every series has a character like that for me, or more. So I remember sitting down. I knew Enterprise had been canceled. It was a horrible time to be a Star Trek fan then. Uh, it, it just it was like a gut punch, especially with as good as the show had become. And And what we got was These Are the Voyages. The less said about These Are the Voyages, the better. <laughs> Definitely. It's it's one of those things that, you know, when Enterprise went off the air, that was, you know, we'd gotten 18 seasons in a row of Star Trek being on television. And to have that end with that episode, it a gut punch. That that's I can't think of a better way to put it than that. It was, you know, I in in the days leading up to it, I'd heard that. You know, people were worried about this episode that they didn't think it was that good. And then I saw it and it was worse than I thought it could be. Um, you know, it's there are some things that it's easy to uh, to poke fun at and to uh, not really like. This one is just universally, I think, not liked by many Star Trek fans. It's... Uh, it it hurt. It really did hurt. And uh, this book, thankfully, that we're going to be talking about tonight, The Good That Men Do, really did a lot to kind of make that hurt go away. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's like a reverse gut punch, but for the best reasons. Uh, this, we, we talked a little bit about uh, before uh, in our news section, and, and this, this book has the audacity to rewrite a Trek episode, which is something that Trek books have never done before where they mm. have actually on purpose gone in to contradict and retell a story uh, to retcon. And, you know, These Are the Voyages was said to be a love letter to fans. To me, this is a retcon love letter. You know, this is the real love letter. Yeah. Uh, let us tell you the true story about what happened to your Enterprise characters, why they're so important. And not only that, but we're going to sweeten the deal by bringing the best character from Enterprise back, Trip, and make him even more important than you thought he could be. And mm -hmm. yeah, he's not dumb enough to die while trying to save the Enterprise from the world's lamest pirates. <laughs> no, that's definitely true. Um, yeah, and like you said, this book really did something that had never been done before. And it was something that when the uh, when the premise behind this book was announced, I, I kind of didn't believe it because I thought, you know, you have a canon Star Trek episode. You know, anything that's on screen is considered canon in Star Trek. And these guys were going to come along and unwrite that episode and 
you know, not, not obviously that I'm not grateful because that's great, but I thought there was no way that they'd ever be allowed to do this. But thankfully I was proven wrong and we got this really, really excellent book, um, that, yeah, like there's really no way, no other way to put it. They completely rewrote what happened in that episode. Uh, of course, there are a few things that let them do this. Luckily, uh, that episode had been written as a holodeck simulation. So the premise of this book basically is that that was a fabricated history and the true story is now coming out. And I, I think that's really cool that there was a bunch of little things that kind of came together uh, about how that episode was written and how it was presented that really let them do that, that gave them that little bit of, bit of an opening that they could kind of tear open and tell this new story. I want to ask you a question on that. You know, when you heard that this was coming out the first time, did you want it? Did you want them to go in and basically fix what you had, we've already talked about, seen as a mistake? Is that something you did want and you were okay with? I feel like, you know, in most cases, it would be something that I would be really trepidatious about. But, you know, I... And again, I, I hope I'm not overstating this. I really did not like that episode. <laughs> like, you know, they may have called it a love letter to fans, but it was a slap in the face to Enterprise fans that wanted to see an end to the Enterprise story and not just another TNG episode that messed up everything that we loved about Enterprise. So, you know, I was a little bit nervous about how they would do it, about what would happen. Um, but I was really curious to see what they would come up with and how it could be changed. And so, yeah, I, I think I was pretty open to the idea, uh, with a few reservations. How about you? How did you feel back in that, back in the good old days before this book came out? Well, I can say unequivocally, there is only one Star Trek episode that I absolutely hate. And it is this episode, mm. um, and you know me, I, I like to be as positive as I can. I try not to spread my hate. I don't talk about this episode much on, on any forums or anything because I don't have anything good to say about mm -hmm. it. So for me, the less said, the better, because I'm not going to add to the conversation. But that that's where I was coming from. So the moment that I heard that this book was coming out, I was fist pumping <laughs> and dancing on the grave of, you know, these are the voyages. That's exactly <laughs> how I felt, I, you know. Um and I just was like you. I was kind of trepidatious of, okay, well, how will they do this? How do you make this work? And so that's where I wanted to go next with you. The setup, um, you know, using Jake and Nog in the 25th century, kind of removed from everything we are in in the 24th century now, as they're older, they're, Jake is a much older man. He's a successful writer. Nog is very successful in Starfleet, and he's come across this thing. You can tell a lot of history has passed because Jake and Nog haven't spent as much time together recently. And you get the feeling that there may have been a little bit of a falling out over some things. Um, a really interesting way to start this story that we're going to tell about, you know, all the way back in the 22nd century. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Um, I found myself actually really curious about, you know, that story and about what happened there. But again, it's just, it's kind of wallpaper to set up this story. It's not the main focus, which I thought was really cool because it, it kind of added this extra dimension to the story and made it feel that much more real that, you know, life has gone on, life has happened. And, you know, we're witnessing just kind of a moment in these two friends lives when they come back together you know, to kind of share this story and, and learn about the past. I thought it, it really added this nice bit of realism to the story and, you know, something that I didn't really expect. I, when I re rereading this story this time around, I kind of forgot about the framing story and how cool that was to kind of pull you in and, and grab your attention there. Well, and one of the things that I did like about it the first time and even now is that there are things about history that, are changed or, or they have been gotten wrong throughout the ages. You know, legends kind of become the tales that we tell about history and it's not always true. You know, like George Washington and his cherry trees mm -hmm. and, you know, this things like that. Whether or not those kind of things happen it is kind of irrelevant. 
But here it was so great because it made sense. You know, one, Nog bringing this information to somebody who he knows is a writer, who is somebody who enjoys a good mystery novel and is an investigative reporter as well. All of those things just kind of wove together to make this make sense. And it was a lot of fun, you know, kind of seeing Nog and Jake removed from everything that we've been dealing with in the 21st century and to know that they're one, they're going to be okay. Jake references talking to, uh, about his dad, you know, and, um, a great little scene, um, there about how things can get changed. You know, I, the whole thing I felt like just works because two, it was kind of neat that in the 25th century, apparently there's kind of this Pax Galactica, this, galactic peace that's happened and that was an interesting thing as well so yeah it left me wondering what was going on in this time period but it the way that it transports you back i felt was kind of a great framing story for all of the enterprise books that we come afterwards Mm -hmm. i kind of felt like that nog and jake would show up in all of them Mm -hmm. as just maybe even once every few books just to say like oh we're continuing this search and like all of this becomes jake jake's historical writings on what they've discovered you know to me that's where it it led to you know like Mm -hmm. so the rise of the federation books that uh have come out um the romulan war books kobayashi maru all of that becomes then what jake has written you know, that's Jake's history. I almost kind of wish that Jake Sisko was the author with help from whoever the author actually was, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would have been a really neat idea. I, I love that this book kind of ends, you know, basically with Nog saying, well, let's see what happens next. <laughs> and, you know, and they put the next da- data chip in and presumably that's where we get the next novel from. And yeah, like you say, it would have been nice to kind of get a little bit of a continuation of that thread. Um, but yeah, like you say, it's, it's, it's neat to imagine that's kind of where the, the books from here are going. The next question really becomes too, okay, this story is not just about Enterprise continuing, but it is about bringing back from the dead Trip Tucker. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so for you, was that something that you wanted as a fan and two, does this setup story, does it work for you? Does it make sense? Does it feel in line with the character? Mm. Well, the thing about character deaths is, you know, sometimes they can be in something noble in service of a greater cause and really epic and that kind of thing. And sometimes, you know, not so much. There can be something more tragic or, or, you know, something less than that, but still very emotional, very poignant. And the death of Trip in These Are the Voyages, to me, was really neither. It just, it felt like it was done for the sake of doing it, to try and kind of wrench some really inauthentic emotions out of the episode uh, I think there's one good scene in that episode, and it is actually when Archer and T'Pol are in Tripp's quarters reminiscing about him. But that's it. Like, that's if that's the net worth that we got out of, you know, killing Trip off in that episode, it's not worth it. And so, based on that reason alone, I was overjoyed when we found out that, you know, Trip didn't die that way in this book. And uh, as for the realism of it, there are a few things I, I really like where Tripp's character goes with this. I, um, the authors really do a good job of setting up his motivation for doing what he does and that sort of thing. I do think it's a little unfortunate that the writers have to have him be completely cut off and, uh, you know, not a part of, you know, the knowledge, the known part of history until you know, at least the late 24th century kind of thing. Um, because, you know, it, it kind of paints them into a few corners as far as how he's able to come back. So, you know, having him become a Section 31 operative and go off into Romulan space really does a good job of satisfying those conditions. 
There are a few times where I think to myself, would Trip really do this? But for the most part, like I say, I think the authors do a really good job of setting that up and making me feel like it's a genuine thing that he would do. Um, so kind of kudos to them for that, because if you'd have if you'd have asked me if I would buy that as a plot point before I'd read this novel, I would think, no, that doesn't make any sense. But these guys really sell it. Yeah, I mean, the thought of Trip Tucker, secret agent man, isn't exactly <laughs> what comes to mind with episodes like Unexpected, which I love Unexpected. Um, but that's not exactly what comes to your mind when you think about Trip. And what I liked is the way that the book took into Trip's characterization everything that he's been through, through the expanse, you know, through the Zindi arc, uh, losing his sister, uh, the impact that the Paxson event had on him and to Paul. And uh, not only that, but the growth of the character of Trip to become somebody who can start to see beyond his own humanity and, and see the galaxy almost like on a huge map and, and see galactic events playing out and how other races think and how things are going to play out. See uh, villains uh, in the galaxy for who they really are, uh, like the Romulans. I, I think what's so interesting is the way that they weave all that together so that it does make sense. Mm -hmm. So you feel like this is kind of the character who Trip has become. And, you know, instead of making Archer the super secret spy badass agent, guy who's going to go take care of this it makes more sense for it to be trip and obviously it fits with having to bring him back and why nobody would know i just i i really i like the legwork that they do by bringing in all of these events to help build the case for why trip would go on this course of action mm. and not only that but I really like the legwork that they do by talking about how this Section 31 is different from the Section 31 that we know later on. Mm -hmm. And how actually in most ways, I think it's, it's, it's really interesting, they are more in line with what should be being done in this story. You're almost kind of rooting for Section 31, and that's really not happened <laughs> In a story, and what I liked is the way that the authors were able to create that ambiguity of showing how blind Starfleet is. I, I put it on our outline, this kind of lack of vision mm -hmm. that um, the leadership in Starfleet have, the, the leaders of Corridan have. They're so focused on their goals or either their pride, they're unwilling and uh, they're, they're not willing to see this enemy that's on their doorstep they're they're willing to turn a blind eye for all of these other things that they think they have to do are more important and and, and really they're putting the safety of the galaxy at least this part of the galaxy in danger because of it and trip and section 31 and archer and his crew are actually the ones who can see it mm. but nobody will listen to them you know and i thought what this this book is is relevant today as it is, it was when it came out, maybe even more so. Mm -hmm. uh, just, And I keep seeing that theme running through things these days, and maybe that's because of what we're living through. But this book went up higher in my estimation because of the way that they are really creating a wonderful milieu of this universe and just how rich it really was in this Enterprise time period. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was. that was one thing about the book, it's it's almost very disheartening that um that we're really starting out this era of greater cooperation between different species with this huge misstep on the part of starfleets and you know the fact that the people of vision like trip and archer and all of them it it's really showing that they have that kind of foresight and you know frontline experience really to be able to see what's going on and um you know, it's it's really we get to see how they're shaping what the Federation will become eventually. And uh, yeah, people like Gardner, it's 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 disheartening when people like that are in charge here. <laughs> well, and, and you can understand, too, because I mean, I mean, you think about 
Gardner himself. He he's become a politician. Mm-hmm. And he's become somebody who's used to being in power and seeing power work in, in different ways. But what makes him ill-equipped at this point is that he hasn't been on the front lines. He doesn't right. understand the realities of the galaxy in the way that, of course, Archer does now from being out there. You know, he's boldly gone and boldly also gotten his ass kicked a bunch of times. And so that teaches you something that experience that you can't just transfer with your logs you can't just um pass on because somebody who hasn't been there and hasn't experienced that hasn't had the opportunity to learn and you get that feeling here specifically with what's happening with starfleet um what's happening with uh, some of the races around there but you know the 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 Cordanians who who are just too prideful to admit that they need help, you know, allowing all these things to kind of get in the way of actually doing what is necessary, doing what is needed, doing what's actually most important. Mm. And, you know, binding together the galaxy with this coalition, that's important. That's Mm -hmm. very important. But Doing it and not being willing to admit that there's also an enemy on our doorstep who's actively pursuing our destruction, all of our destruction, and has proven that with that attack uh, is very interesting. And as we'll kind of learn throughout the rest of the book series, we don't want to get too much into it, but it's not going to... It's going to be six years of pain and toil that is going to lead to the Federation, but it's not going to lead to Earth getting the help it needs in its biggest, you know, threat since the Zindi crisis. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of a, a sad thing because it, it, it falls apart because, again, this, this lack of vision that will continue on throughout this this series. So a really cool thing to be able to see. Um, I also found that, you know, prequels are really interesting and, uh, it it reminds me just how good of a story idea the Enterprise series was, especially when you get into all of this, you know, for me, I love the, the Star Wars prequels and this book reminds me just how interesting this time period is to explore because, you have intrigue, you have war, politics, all of these things that make for just, it's it's rife for the taking, you know, mm. and that's what I love, you know, Enterprise really was a great idea, it just needed to be sometimes a little bolder than it was, and it wasn't, it just wasn't bold enough uh, at the beginning. Yeah, I, I agree completely. It, it kind of drives me a little bit batty when, when fans talk about you know, how they don't like Enterprise because we know everything that happened then. Well, we really don't, you know, I mean, these stories, um, you know, maybe we know the broad strokes. We know that there was a Romulan war and then the Federation was founded and then, you know, a hundred, you know, a hundred years go by and then we get the original series. Well, that's a lot of, that's a lot of stuff that we don't get explained here. And like you say, it's just, it's rife with these really great ideas and really great makings of some excellent stories um political stories and stories about literal world building like creating the world that we will eventually see in the original series that really interests me and you know i think enterprise did an okay job at the beginning not like you said they weren't really bold enough but by the time we get into season three and especially season four, you know, I'm loving Enterprise. I'm loving the ideas they're coming up with. And we really see a continuation of that in this story here with the kind of broadening of the galactic political stage here and, and seeing, you know, we know what happens, but we don't know how it happens. We don't see these pieces move into place until we get the, you know, these stories here. And I, I'm really loving this. I think they're doing an excellent job in this book, especially. Well, it is one of those things that it, it is such an interesting tale to tell. Like you said, we really don't know anything about the birth of the Coalition of Planets and then the founding of the Federation. There, we didn't know any of that. 
Um, and all of these characters really can be killed off at any time. Um, they can be made important. They could be made not important. And that was what was so great is, is the way that they built in how important a character like Archer to Paul, Trip, Travis, you know, all of these people become to the story. And, and then, of course, uh, the, the, the building of what we know to be Star Trek. And it really is a wide open premise. The only thing that we know is that the Federation is going to come out of this somehow. Mm-hmm. It's really all we know. Uh, we didn't know anything else. And so the, the storytelling that you're getting is wide open. The way that Enterprise had dealt with the, the Vulcans had left just so much storytelling there because we actually got to to watch them grow and move i mean getting to explore andorians and tellerites and i mean oh my it's just <laughs> incredible what we're getting and and that's what makes this you know uh, such a phenomenal book because we're doing that you know um but we're weaving them into a story which i have to say this is a tight story mm-hmm. it it's got an a plot a b plot and a and a minor c plot with the romulans and i guess you could call it a d plot with jake and nog but i don't really even consider that a plot because it's more just a framing device mm-hmm. so it, it it it's it's not really it's only essential in that it's getting us to tell the story as it really happened. So that's a great thing about this book too. And it's really well done. I just, goodness, uh, it, it's really well done. And and I, I just wish that, um, you know, every time I read this book specifically, it makes me wish for more enterprise in a way that, you know, after these are the voyages, I was almost wanting to be kind of like, screw it, screw Enterprise, you know, like, <laughs> screw Star Trek, you know, mm-hmm. how dare you? Um, and, but this brings me back. Mm-hmm. You know, again, this is my retcon love letter. This brings me back into loving it. And I think that's huge. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, what, like talking about how we, when we first heard about this book and, and what they were going to have to do, I really didn't envy Mangles and Martin uh, and you know, the job they had here, but holy mackerel, do they ever pull it off? Well, like this is just, like you said, it's a very tight story. It's a, it's a big book. It's not a small book, but man, I just, you know, rereading it this, this time around, I blew through it cover to cover because it really pulls you in and it just, they tell an amazing story, you know? And I mean, you know, a lot of Star Trek novels, you can boil down to one or two gimmicks. And, you know, you could describe this one as rewriting These Are the Voyages, bringing Trip back, putting him as a spy in Romulan space. But that brief description doesn't really explain how great this book is. Uh, you know, anyone out there that hasn't read this book that thinks that you know, it's going to be no good because it rewrites canon or they didn't really like Enterprise. I, I challenge you, read this book. It will change your mind. I, I can't put it any plainer than that. <laughs> well, and and what it 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 did too is we, we talked a little bit uh, about uh, kind of at the beginning, the, the way that the Enterprise episode, These Are the Voyages, was set up, left itself with just... It was like Swiss cheese with the holes that were in it that just didn't really add up. I mean, with the crew not being, you know, promoted uh, ever, apparently <laughs> in 10 years. I mean, the the way that the, the pirates, you know, they had faced so many more challenges that were way worse than anything that this presented. I mean, this was a slow Tuesday for them. Mm. And, and so this book just does a great job of, of using all of that material that they were given <laughs> to justify its existence and justify what they do do. And I, I think that, uh, again, when, when you rewatch These Are the Voyages and, and you see what they did, the, and then you read this book specifically, you're like, oh, okay, that makes so much more sense. You know, <laughs> it, it just... It almost yeah. makes These Are the Voyages a better episode because you know, oh, well, that's just the propaganda that they gave us. It really does. There are, there are a few moments in These Are the Voyages. I mean, uh, 
the the one that's really apparent is when trip is injured in the explosion that he causes to save archer for some reason um and then when he's being put into the uh into the chamber you know to be treated in sick bay he kind of looks up at archer and gives him this little wink and I think in the context of the episode, they're trying to make it, you know, oh, Trip's such a, aw, shucks, good old boy, you know, he's trying to make Archer feel better, that's his character. But then you read this book, and it just adds that whole other layer to it, that, you know, Trip winks at Archer because, you know, he's not really dying, and, and, and this is I'm all... I'm not quite dead! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, this is all a ploy, and I love that Archer's like, oh, crap, I hope nobody else saw that. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, it's, it's exactly. great, you know, using all these little elements. And, yeah, like, the book even points out things like the crew not getting promoted in 10 years. You know, you know, Harry Kim thought he had it bad seven years in the Delta Quadrant as an ensign, you know, Hoshi and Travis stuck around Earth and they were still ensigns after 10 years. Like, you know, there's so much of this, of that episode. Hoshi invented the Universal Translator and she's still <laughs> yeah. a damn ensign. Come on! <laughs> I know, like, it's just, it's mind-boggling how little thought seemed to go into that episode. And then after that, this book gets written and it's almost like that, you know, that such little thought went into that episode serves this book so well. It's really, really cool how that kind of feeds into making this such a good book is the fact that that was such a poor episode. Well, you know, uh, the the best thing that can be said for a relaunch series of any of the Star Trek series, whether it's Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Enterprise, Voyager, is that those books become your headcanon for mm -hmm. what happens next. I am totally okay with. I am so on board with. I there is nothing about this that anybody could ever convince me is not true in the Star Trek universe. This is as canon to me as Kirk being from Iowa. Amen. So, Absolutely. you know, it, it it's that's just how I feel about it. You know, mm -hmm. um there are other books in the series, other characters that have gone on in other series, uh, you know, I think some of the things in Deep Space 9 and whatnot that we've talked about before where Eh, I, you know, I hold those more loosely, eh, Ezri and and Bashir or whatnot. I so parts of me really just still kind of hold to, no, they're still together on Deep Space Nine. That's just the books, you know, <laughs> uh, because of, of of what I liked, you know, as a fan. But this was just like you said, the way that it plays with the episode and the way it deals with everything that happened, puts it all together, and makes it make sense. That's the only way I can make these the voyages make sense mm -hmm. so um and not only that but you know um one of the things i really liked about what you put on the outline here was this whole idea of trip into paul and them being one of trek's greatest loves you know love stories mm -hmm. and i have to say too rereading this book you know the way that that's dealt with the fallout from what happened with Paxson and, and the, their daughter, Elizabeth, and all of those things and the impact that it has on them emotionally, especially for T'Pol, it's done so well. It's done so naturally mm. uh, so that by the end—we uh, well, are going to spoil this book here, but oh, yeah. by the end when they have their reunion and she she sees him— it's it's glorious. It's just so glorious. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, Trip and Paul kind of had a bit of a dubious beginning, but you know, by the end of Enterprise, I I really thought they were one of Trek's best couples. Like those two actors playing off of each other were so good, and you know, these the the authors really capture that well in this book. And yeah, like you say, by the end of the book, when they're reunited briefly, it just, it feels so real and so good. Um, reunited and <laughs> it feels so good. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to keep going back. Like, like you say, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. I hate to keep going back and bashing. These are the voyages, but it just... 
bugged me that we got this season of buildup and and really these two characters coming closer together and then you know kind of the culmination of that in demons and terra prime and then these are the voyages comes along and we find out oh they just kind of drifted apart and broke up and it's 10 years later and you know they're still on the same ship but they're like oh yeah right we had that relationship ages and it just really like that's the best you could do with that and uh yeah, this book takes that and, you know, moves it years earlier and makes it make a lot more sense. And I, I love mean, it. Yeah, I, I it just it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. And I'm with you. I was a, a trip into Paul Shipper, mm-hmm. uh, as they like to say in TV land. And I really enjoyed their relationship and I, I enjoyed where it went on the show and what I loved about the way the book ends is I almost felt like they were tipping their hat to the fact that Trip is going to survive all of this and they are going to end up together somehow. Mm-hmm. We'll find that out at the end of the, the Romulan War, um, exactly how that plays out for these two characters. But it is going to happen. That's how I felt immediately, even reading it the first time. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was so beautiful because it was, it really was, you know, I know people could probably bash this book, say, oh, it's just a bunch of fan service. They just brought back your character and they put your ship back together. And, you know, uh, well, that's fine. That you could throw that at me and it'll stick because it's totally true. Uh, They did what I wanted them to do. And I think they did it so well that I don't care what you have to say. Uh, I really don't. I love this book. I love what it did for the characters of Trip and T'Pol. And I love how it grew that relationship so organically and so beautifully. And that will continue to happen throughout the, the rest of, of the series. And yeah, I, I it's the one thing I think, you know, even throughout the Romulan War and then uh, throughout the Rise of the Federation books, it's the one part of the story that I always look forward to the most, honestly, is what's going on with Trip, mm-hmm. but then what's going on with Trip and Paul? Yeah. Because we do know where they're going to end up in the future from the Rise of the Federation books. It's an interesting story on how they get there. And if there was ever a setup, you know, if I ever thought that a book could eclipse what I felt for Avatar when that came out, those first two for Deep Space Nine. Holy mackerel, was it this. Dan, uh, before we go any further, and before I think we get to the the ratings, which I do want to get to, I wanted to talk to you a little bit because obviously we're really laying the foundation now for where we're going to go with the Robulans. Mm. And they're really going to lead into the Robulan War. And I wanted to ask you how you felt about who they brought back for the book. They bring Valdor back as the kind of the nemesis and everything. How did that all work for you on that side as they're building towards, you know, this showdown we know is all coming. Mm -hmm. I I really liked the character of Valdor, kind of his physical presence and his menacing voice when he was on, on the TV show enterprise. Uh, So it was kind of interesting to bring him back as a character here uh, you know, he kind of makes sense as, as someone we've seen. And so we can kind of follow and know his motivations and that kind of thing. Uh, one of the things that I thought was really interesting was, uh, bringing back, uh, we saw him as a Vulcan captain in, in the TV series, Captain Sopek. Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. That was a big surprise. Uh, now is he, we still don't really know. Is he a Vulcan agent undercover in Romulus or was he a Romulan agent undercover on Vulcan? Like we really don't know at this point. And uh, also, I don't know if you noticed this, but uh, he was played by. um, So yeah, in that enterprise episode, he was played by Gregory Itzen and then Admiral Black has a brief appearance in this book. And we saw the Mirror Universe counterpart of Admiral Black on Enterprise. He's also played by Gregory Itzen. So, you know, either these two look exactly the same or, man, these Romulan double agents really get around. <laughs> yeah, they they really do. Um, and, I, I, you know, 
I can't remember exactly how everything plays out in you know Kobayashi Maru and then the Romulan War book. So I'm interested to watch how that happens. Mm -hmm. And you know, I I think that the work that they did here with the Romulans was was kind of fascinating and you know creating this kind of almost civil war happening between this this other faction wanting to kind of overthrow the praetor and in the romulan government and all of that i thought was really just so well done mm-hmm. it, it made me more interested in them as a race and it's not just kind of a a, a mono culture that you only see one side of it gives it layers of subtleties and and right right makes them deeper yeah exactly and it was a nice thing to see that there's a lot of strife happening within the Romulan Empire. But that strife still is all leading towards one thing, which is they see Earth and this coalition as being very dangerous and they want to take it out. And that creates, obviously, the the storyline that we're going to get with the Romulan War, which is where we all wanted to go. <laughs> in enterprise and so it's just so exciting that we're you know you finally are going to get that here in the books and how that plays out is for another show but uh, dana as we're kind of wrapping up is there for you uh, we've talked a lot about how we feel about the book is there a rating for you that i guess is strong enough high enough i don't know (laughs) well i mean yeah if if you've been listening you kind of know where i'm going with this uh, I, I really love this book. You know, you take an idea like, you know, let's make it so that Trip never died and he gets disguised as a Romulan and goes undercover in Romulan space. Uh, you know, to take that idea and make it not only plausible, but, you know, a story that I can really get behind and really, really become invested in, uh, you know, that's, that's really high prop high praise to these authors for being able to do that. There were times when I was reading this book, that I was thinking to myself, man, I really hope Trip is able to stave off this Romulan war coming. Oh wait, no. Well, I know he's not going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's how much this story sucked me in that, you know, I totally had forgotten exactly where it is in history and stuff and what's coming. And, you know, I really got into the story. So, you know, I would have to definitely give it, um, five out of five synthetic Romulan ears. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I I I don't know. There are very few, I think, Star Trek books in general that I like as much as I like this one. Uh, you know, on my list, I can probably think of um, Prime Directive that I really enjoy and have reread a couple times. Uh, the S- Shadows of the Sun. I think is uh, also one that uh, I, I personally really enjoy. Uh, to me, though, um, this is five out of five immaculate resurrections. I mean, <laughs> it's it's phenomenal. I love this book, and uh, I'm unapologetically uh, uh, its biggest fan, uh, along with you, Dan. So uh, it's we were even messaging back and forth as we were reading it over the last week or so. Just being like, oh, I forgot how good this book is. <laughs> you know, it was just, and it was, you know, I will say it, for me, it was a great book to read at this point. I'm, I'm so glad that we did because it has fired my excitement for the rest of the year and what we're going to be doing here on Literary Treks. And I'm excited that that happened. So for everything uh, that it's done, for the fact that it actually surpassed what I remembered the book being, yeah, this is a solid, It this is a perfect Star Trek book to me. And uh, it's the kind of, I would say it's probably really the standard to which I hold Star Trek books too, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and there are some books up there. Um, I kind of think of it as well like Full Circle, you know, where it just came and blew my expectations out of the water kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. I think this does too. Well, Matthew, I think we were both pretty unanimous in our praise for this, uh, for the book we discussed today, The Good That Men Do. I mean, you know, we both, I think, pretty much came away saying one of the best Star Trek novels ever. And I say that without hyperbole. Yeah, no, uh, n- exactly. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it, it totally is one of the the best Star Trek books out there. Uh, and and it, personally, I've ever read. And 
one of the things about that, you know, literature is, is there is a subjectiveness to it, you know, so I'll be interested to hear what people have to say on the Babel Conference and what they thought of the book. And I really want to thank our associate producers helping us bring this content to you. Uh, it, it just it's a, it's fantastic. We'll win. Ken Tripp, Brandon Shea Matullah, and Bruce Gibson, all of these guys, they support us through Patreon. And, and this is a huge year for us as Trek FM and as Star Trek fans. It's the 50th anniversary, so we need your help to make sure that all of this content keeps coming to you. We're a listener-supported network. Um, Christopher Jones, our executive producer here um, for the network, laid out actually some of the things of, of what it costs to do this uh, just production-wise and distribution-wise through our, our Lipson. There's so much that goes into this. Um, somebody was asking me the other day if I got books for, for free. I, no, Dan and I, we purchased these books, the comics that we read. Um, you know, all of that stuff, it just comes out of our pocket because we love doing it for you guys. We want to continue to do it for you guys. So help us do that. Go to patreon.com slash trekfm and see how you can be part of the team and help keep all of this content coming to people for years to come. Now, Dan, when you're not busy getting yourself augmented to look like a Vulcan with really pointy ears, where can we find you? Well, Matthew, uh, you can find me online. My website is Treklet Reviews. That's www.treklet.com, where I review tons of Star Trek novels. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Kurtrats. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. I'm also on Facebook at facebook.com slash Reviews. And I'm on Instagram. My username there is Kurtrats47. Uh, you can also find me on the Babel Conference and on our Goodreads group, uh, talking about all the books and comics that we cover here on the show. And uh, Matthew, when you're not hiding in the shadows and recruiting Southern engineers for your dark and secret shadowy organization that's not actually as bad as we think it is, where can we find you? Well, keep your shirt on, Lieutenant. Uh, we'll find some more, I promise you. Um, but you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. You can also find me on Instagram at MRushing. I do The Orb with Christopher Jones, where, of course, you know, we did have a Deep Space Nine connection here with this book. So check out The Orb. Uh, we'll talk about all things Deep Space Nine. You can also find me on the 602 Club. We talk about all things geeky, but not Star Trek on this network which is a lot of fun we talk about just everything out there that it from comics to fun movies to tv shows to major blockbusters to old things it, everything geeky under the sun we can try and fit in so check us out there and then you can also find me on my own personal blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com thank you so much for joining us and until next time live long and read on you call that light reading? To each his own, number one. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, leave...